0: Um, so as I mentioned today, we're gonna to be looking at the parable of the sower, this parable that's found in Matthew 13. Um, and that pretty quickly sent me down uh, the rabbit trail of farming. Um, if you know me or know anything about me, uh, one of a couple of my top like strength finders, whenever I do these things, it's like input and learning. Like I love to just like, I listen to lots of podcasts and read lots of things. I just like to, so when I hear this, I get very distracted, right? I, oh, farming, let's, we'll watch YouTube. Um, and so uh, I just start looking down and I've always been interested in farming. We're not maybe always, but like in in the probably last 10 or 15 years, uh, this idea around all of it, the bigness of it, right? All these things. I watched some Netflix documentary about like industrial corn at some point, which made me think there's corn you can't eat. What is this? And then you start going down a long trail of where does our food come from? You start thinking about refrigeration trucks and all this stuff, right? And so what I've come to realize through all of it is I'd be a terrible farmer. That's really the bottom line of all of it. Um, because I will go outside like to the backyard and, and, I would, and I very rarely do anything back there to clean things up. And like twice a year, I'll look at like the, the trees have decided to grow against my will. And I'm like, why the injustice, right? Like, why can't you just be perfectly shaped the way I want you to Why is there work to do in my yard? I feel like that would be a lot of farming, right? There's a lot of things you have to do in the midst of that. But I, I, I am fascinated by where our food comes from, right? It's like not just from Publix. And that starts getting you down like, how does this ear of corn make it from Argentina to here? And you start thinking about all of it. And, and then I get really to start thinking about farmers, right? And, and I'm fortunate to know several over time. And, and I start thinking about like the risk associated, right, like you do all this work and you hope that it produces something at the end of the year Then you might make money, you might make a lot or you might lose everything. Um, Like how few people really know how to do it, right, anymore, like how to farm and how to grow something. Um, Just the change to industrialized farming, how much everything has changed, the systems and all these things. And uh, as I mentioned, I've been fortunate, especially my wife's family has a lot of friends that are farmers and uh, have gotten to spend time with them. They they uh, put up with my curiosity, which has been really nice of them. And when I ask lots of questions about it and I've kind of asked them, you know, what makes a good farmer, right? And, and I'll hear about soil quality and, you know, the timing of when you start everything, fertilizer, I mean, just think weed control. How do you control the bugs, all this stuff? Irrigation. Then I feel like I've learned even more. Some ways, going to Malawi and seeing everybody there's farms, right? That's just part of life that you farm, that's your food. And just, it's very basic, right? It's like land, seed, water, and maybe some other stuff, right? Like maybe you get around the weeding and all these other things. And what I've come to realize, one, not only that I'd be a terrible farmer, but um, the best of farmers can't make food grow right, like they can set all of the conditions around it. Uh, they can make choices, they can prepare, they can plan, they can do everything around it, but you can't make, you can't just like sit there and make the seed sprout, right, it's either going to or it's not. And, and some people would call that chance, right, but I think we would label that as God. God is in control of all that. Of I mean, you have the element all these things, but behind all of it, there was a plan, there was a plan for how plants grow, how seeds pl- happen, and, and, and there's a piece of it where we just can't control the last piece. It's going to happen or it's not, we can do everything Around it. And I realized not only would it, all the rest of it would be very difficult for me in farming, but I like control a lot. And I think it would be very, very hard for me to give that up and to just trust, right? To do all this work and then just kind of have to sit back and wait and to trust that it's happening because I like the plan, I like the control, I like to set all the variables, right? I like to pick the environments and all these things. But you really have to sit and know God and be comfortable and, 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 and waiting, and trusting in the midst of that. About the closest thing that I've able, been able to compare the, that idea of farming to in my own life is with kids, right? Like you can't control the outcome. You can do all the planning, you can invest, you can pray, uh, you, you can teach lessons, but at the end of the day, uh, they are their own person. And, and that's where you have to trust God and it's hard. Uh, We're starting a new series today. We're talking about the kingdom parables. we gonna be looking at Matthew 13, these different images that Jesus has given us of his kingdom and we're starting to do this and we've been talking a lot about uh, the kingdom of God. It's been a very interesting topic over these last couple of years and it's come up time and again because I think that word um, in in itself can be a little bit loaded, right? When you start thinking of kingdom, you can get really quick in the politics or in the power or in the structures and all these things. But I think at the heart of it, because Jesus talks a lot about his kingdom coming and we wanna be faithful to that and, and, and the idea of this kingdom that's coming is the reign of Christ. It's the perfect reign of God, the perfect way of living that all tears will be gone, that all justice will be restored, that all love will be ordered properly, that all the laws work, everything will come under the reign of Christ. Everything will work in the way it was supposed to and it will be perfection. It'll be the way it was in the beginning, back before the fall when all was ordered right the new kingdom will look like that. And we have an opportunity to either step into it now, like it's coming someday and we can wait for it or we can start to align our lives now to look more in love, like more like that. We've learned that in this kingdom that there's a new citizenship that happens, that there's a citizenship that comes alongside that's more than just what's on your driver's license as your country of origin, that there's a new citizenship that you take place into this new kingdom that we're called to be a new showcase people of God, to live more and to love more like him, to invite people in to serve and to do all these different things, to be a part of his work. We spent a lot of time, and we will continue looking back at the Old Testament, that there was the original showcase people, as God set his people aside, the idea behind it was that they would look more and love more and that they would so live that the world would be so attracted they'd want to be a part of what God was doing, that they'd be invited and they go up and down, they in and out, they forget and all these things. And so much of what they wanted was a kingdom of power. They wanted a new structure. They wanted things to be ordered properly there. And we get into the New Testament where they're still still wanting that, right? They still have this idea that Jesus is gonna come, that there'll be a new king over all of it. But yet he lays out a new kingdom that looks very different. It's a kingdom of love by serving. It's a kingdom where he lays down his life as a servant of all of this kingdom that looks so different, yet it is a kingdom that will last forever. And we're invited into aligning our lives so to look like that now, to look more and to love more like him. And so this first parable that we come to today in Matthew 13 talks about how this kingdom will grow and what it takes for this new way of living to take root and to flourish. Um, I think it's helpful to kind of have a, a definition of parables to work around as we move through this. And uh, one I found that I have really been intrigued by and I keep coming back to over and over again by, by a theologian by the last name of Dodd. And he wrote this, he says, a parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt of its precise application to tease it into the act of thought. And I love that idea that the parables were given in such common ways, right? They were like, especially at the time, this would be a very common language I'd hear, but it was just off kilter enough to, to knock you off just a little bit to make you think in a new way, that it left some interpretation there, that it caused you to have to think about things in a new way. Jesus tells stories and he makes us think in new ways. And so with that in mind, let's hear this first parable of the sower. We're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 13 verses one through nine and then finishing up in 18 through 23. I'd invite you to follow along on your bulletin if you'd like. Your Bibles are on your phone. But we'll be reading Matthew chapter 13, verses one through nine and 18 through 23. Hear these words. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. I'm going to pause there for a minute and just this is the setting for all the parables that we're gonna be looking at for the next few weeks. And I love the setting. It's like, Jesus is there by the lake. People are crowded in and they hear him. And so he needs to create some space. So he sits in a boat on the side of the lake and starts teaching. And that doesn't always say the position that Jesus takes when he's talking, but it's very clearly he's sitting. So I've had this image of like, he's just sitting there and teaching. And everybody's pressed in and listening. And there's just this moment, and I love this moment of Jesus where he's just on a boat by the lakeside teaching his people that have shown up and telling them these great truths. 60 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then he continues on. The disciples have pressed close and they're, they're listening. And he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. I think most of the time, when we come to this parable, um, we talk a lot about the soil, right? We talk about how we can make the soil ready to receive the seed, or what kind of soil we are, what we can do, and we will talk some about that. But I I wanna sit, before we get into that, and what has really struck me about this parable in the season of my life, maybe in the season of the church, or just maybe having some extra time to be in the presence of it. Um, This is the parable of the sower and the seed. Matthew himself titles that in verse 18. He says, this is the parable of the sower. It's very interesting. Like a lot of times when you're reading your Bible, they'll have headings there. And these are headings we added in later that help kind of orient you to what's going on. But Matthew actually calls it the parable of the sower because God is the sower. And the seed is the word, it's Jesus. It's this good news, the gospel. It's the good news of freedom and hope and life. And he's scattering the seed around. And it's interesting, this is one of those parables that's found in all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, And Luke, it's in the synoptic gospels. It's one that they all heard. They all want to capture. It was important enough that everybody would hear this one here. But only Matthew alone calls this the word of the kingdom. The seed is the word of the kingdom. So again, kingdom imagery. There's something important to him about this. This is the parable of the sower. And we're supposed to be focused on the sower in the story. One thing that has, has struck me is that God is a very inefficient farmer seed is expensive. It's costly. When we go to Malawi, like, they spend most of their income to buy enough seed and fertilizer for the year, and that is their food. If you get the food back, you eat, and if not, you don't. And so you're very careful, and I think that would be true for all farmers, whenever you just eat, you have to be careful about where you plant it because you want a good crop. But the sower here seems to throw it everywhere, almost indiscriminately, on a footpath, in some rocky places, some thorns. He's willing to share it everywhere, and I have been struck as I read about this, of the generosity of God. I can get behind the image and I think there's different seasons, right? God is father, God is ruler, God in control, God of justice, all these things, but there's something I think I often miss about God's generosity. Uh, even it seems like that should be so basic, right? When we think about Jesus and the gift of all that, but, but just the overflow of the generosity of God and to think about his willingness, knowing that it's not going to take root, he knows, and yet he continues to plant the seed everywhere. If you were to go by math in this, three out of the four seeds produce nothing. Or produce it only for a short time. Three quarters. 75% failure rate. Try to put that on your quarterly report at your next business meeting, right? Yay, 75% failure. No. That doesn't fly very well, but God knows and he keeps doing about that. The sower keeps spreading the seed. And I found this quote that I thought helped me so much when I was trying to focus on that by, by a theologian by the name of Keener. He says this, as different as the four soils are, they all hold two things in common, seeds and the sower. The sower sows the same seeds in all four soils with equal toil, equal hope, and equal generosity. The sower does sow without evaluation of the soil's quality or potential. There is no soil left unsown. No ground is declared undeserving of the sower's seeds. This is not about the quality of dirt. It's about the quality of God the divine sower. We, we want to judge what kind of dirt we are. God simply wants to sow his life in ours. No life, no person, no soil is left unsown. And that line has hit me over and over as I've read it. It is about the quality of God. It is not a parable about the quality of the soil, though we will talk about that. It is about the quality of God and his nature and his character. And thankfully, this parable is about his faithfulness and not about farming or soil quality or how things Work in this world, in the sower's world, wastefulness gives way to hope, inefficiency to love, and profitability to generosity. Every part of our life has been sown with the seeds of God. And you know what happens to seeds? Uh, an apple seed becomes apples, an orange seed becomes orange, and a God seed becomes God. There's this idea of it's the right seed in the right soil, the right thing is produced in the midst of it because this is God's good news to share. This is his gospel. This is his hope. And this harvest is his. And we need to seat firmly in that because I am struck again. This is God's kingdom. It's his good news. And it is his desire and it is his power and his choice to grow. It is not something we have to control or worry about. That is God's to do. And I often want to hold on to it so tightly, right? I, I want to control the outcomes of it so much, whether that's in my personal life the life of church and the things that I do, I wanna see results or force results or make sure the environment is perfect and everything. And there's parts of that that are so good to do, right? To make sure that you're doing the right work. But I also need to be reminded that this is ultimately God in control. God is in control of all of it. And he knows, he knows that three quarters of the seeds may not take full root and he knows the work that's gonna happen and he knows the end. And it is super helpful for people like me that can maybe get a God complex from time to time, right? To be reminded that it is God. And it is God alone who is doing this, that we have parts to play in it. We need to rest in him. And I, and I need that reminder of this thing that God has always known, uh, that this good soil produces such a good crop that it is just, magnified, right? It overcomes all of the ones. It continues to grow. Disciples continue to be made. Even though all these other ones don't take full root and don't produce the crop, the ones that do produce such an incredible crop that happens and I need that reminder because my life has been a seed sowing life, right? Whether that's on Young Life staff or working with cognitively disabled teenagers and not really knowing if the seed is taking place or sharing it with neighbors and friends and you do this all the time, right? You invite people, you tell them and it doesn't take root or you don't see it or you see it change someone in your family for a while and it goes away and the reminder that there is hope it, because and it hits the good soil. And whether that's the timing of life or whether that's just the mystery of God or whatever's happening, the crop that is produced is so amazing. It is so full. It is so rich that it all overcomes. And as we are all tasked with sharing that good news, we need to be reminded that it's God's. And that though a lot won't take root, some of it will and it will change the world. And there is a plan through it. Uh, One of my um, favorite theologians and professors, I'm so grateful that I had a short time to be with him. His name's Dale Bruner and he wrote this. He said, Jesus's word brings into this world the otherworldly power of the coming kingdom of God. So as a consequence of that word's powerful coming, everything else that the parables want to teach us naturally follows. Namely, that it is our responsibility to understand this word, that it's our mission to bring this world with a patient urgency to, to the church, and the world, and that it is our privilege to wait expectantly, confidently, and joyfully for the final victory of this word's promises. So let's take a look now at the soils and our responsibility. It's it's really, I think, helpful and important to note that Jesus takes extra time with his disciples in this parable to explain it so often he gives a teaching and we're left trying to figure out, but this one, he spells it out. He gives them an inside view. Jesus spoke in parables at this time because we are 2,000 years past it. We know the rest of the story, right? We know Jesus crucified. He comes back to life. But these these disciples are in the midst of it. And there was this mystery that was unfolding even in the midst of all this that we have a little bit bigger taste of. And he was sharing with them some incredible truths that they couldn't even wrap their head around with things that they, even the prophets of old, Moses and Elijah, these people that sat so close with God, things that they didn't even know yet. Jesus is sharing with his disciples and, and he was making it available to them at this time. And, and, and there's this idea, I think, as I'm reading it, that the disciples were the ones who were pressed so close to him that they got the benefit of hearing this extra teaching, this explaining that was in it. And I've kind of kept that with me through all of it, this idea of pressing close to Jesus, that there's something that happens when we press that close to him has conjured the image of the woman who was bleeding and she just knew that if she could just press close and touch to him in that crowd that she'd be healed it's one of my favorite stories that she just she she could just get there things would change and it seems like the disciples have that same urgency where if they would just press close maybe some part of them would be healed as well there'd be some wisdom in part of them so they come close and I think another thing that's important to remember as we hear the soils is that this is written to us this is written to you and I as Christ followers, as church people, as folks that are investigating him. This is not an us versus them. This isn't talking about soils of like, oh, those people over there, this is you and I. This, all of these soils are here. And, and there are seasons in our life that we may have been in this. This is us and we need to listen to this for us and to really evaluate in our own lives. Where are we in that process? Who are we? What does the soil look like? Because this is written for us as his followers to hear. So there's something important here. Four kinds of soils. First, The first soil is the hard footpath, right? The one where the seed is gone. In some cases they say the word goes in, this news goes in one ear and right out the other. And it it says that such neglect is the devil's work. that there's something about the enemy who takes this good word away, just never even has chance to take root. It is scattered there, it is not made for soil, it is not made for receiving seed. Uh, One thing I read I thought was so great, like a footpath's orientation is to receive feet. That's his job, it is hard, it is made for feed, it is not oriented for seed or receiving other things and so its orientation is wrong and maybe to extrapolate that into our world, it is so focused on the others, it is so focused on the things that are there on other people that it is never focused enough on God, they even have the opportunity to get in, there's an enemy who wants to block that, whatever it is, that seed doesn't ever take root there, it just goes away, but I love, again, in the generosity of God, he continues to scatter seed there. Maybe in the hopes that pieces of that footpath over time might be so broken up that it would turn in the fertile soil. Maybe he knows that there's different seasons, I don't know, but God keeps sowing in there even even knowing sometimes it goes in one in the air, out the other, and the enemy takes it away, the foot soil. Second soil, rocky soil. Um, Some embrace the gospel so excitedly but that tests ultimately overcome the shallowness of the commitment. if you've, maybe this is your story, right? You, you heard about Jesus and it just so changed your life. It's the mountaintop experience. Maybe you were at camp. Maybe you had just an amazing experience. You were just, it just, light bulbs were going off. And there were fireworks. And it was incredible. For those of us who've had more of a slower uh, lean into it over time, sometimes we're jealous of those, those of you who have these incredible moments in the midst of that. But oftentimes those moments can kind of go away. At the time, there was a soil um, that was pretty well known in Palestine. It was a thin layer of soil that would have been on top of the limestone, but it was super rich soil, so things would grow in it really fast. A lot of weeds, but a lot of other flowers were growing it. And it would go in there, and it would produce a crop super fast, but as soon as the sun came out, as soon as there were too many days of sun, as soon as there was too much rain, it would go away. Like it couldn't handle, the roots couldn't take sufficient depth and produce it for long enough, and it would go away. It was fast, but it can't handle the harshness. And there seems to be a sense of the hearers uh, that this kind of soil, that they lack the deep hearing that the word seeks. That the listening, that the, that the little word priority is overtaken by the big world that's around it and surrounding it. That it doesn't have the space in this rocky soil for the hearing that clears the space and time for devotion to the word and public and private worship in order that the world would not overwhelm it. And I think in this one, if you find yourselves there often pulled aside, maybe the next shiny thing comes along or the cares of the world or these other pieces that are vying for the attention, it's the prayer for internal roots and staying power. There seems to be a very real thing that Matthew wants to know about the seeds, that it is a long process. that it is a thing that happens over time, that crops are produced over time, that it is not a quick overnight thing oftentimes, that there is space in the midst of it and the pray for roots to be able to last through those seasons that this joyous conversion, these big moments don't necessarily translate into a full life of this living that so radically changes us and that produces crops. That it's not how it starts, but how we continue. And I've thought about this in the kind of, the idea of a wedding versus a marriage, right? So often when we do weddings, they're amazing and it's so fun to be part of, right? It's this culmination of a lot of work that's gone into it, but the wedding is not the thing. And oftentimes we have to remind the bride and groom, like this is a moment. But this is not the thing. The marriage is the thing. The marriage is the work. You are starting a process together. The wedding is a, a day where you make a commitment. You invite God into it. It's so important in the midst of it. But the real work is the lifelong togetherness part of it. It's the marriage that we are starting that continues on. And it's easy to forget sometimes that the moment and confusing and thinking, oh, we've got it all figured out. And I think in the same way, that's where we get the rocky soil, the moment versus the continuity of his hope and the depth of the roots in our life. Third soil, thorns, the thorny soil. And I think this is probably the most applicable in our life and the place we find ourselves in the world the day, wealth, distractions, things vying for our attention that some would embrace the gospel, but gradually other interests, whether that's money, security, family, jobs, even like many of those are good things, right? But they vie for attention. They become just one of the things that need attention. They don't, the word and the gospel don't take the necessary place of prominence for the depth of the roots to be able to there. It just becomes one of the many things and it just sort of slowly fades over time. And this is the one that can be uh, really insidious in many ways because it's very subtle. Uh, it, it seems like you're doing it. Maybe you're showing up and maybe it's like you're kind of doing it, but it's just kind of one of many things. It's not the most important thing. There's not a lot of stuff happening with it. And just over time, as other things become more important, that just sort of fades off and just becomes a thing that's there. And it's sort of maybe you know, a low-grade kind of thing that's back there in our faith life. There seems to be a real sense that true faith is this loyalty to Jesus through all times, through good, and hard that it is a long road in the same direction that this word that it gets implanted in the soil but given this equal opportunity. And just a few verses before this, Jesus gives a fairly stark warning before this. In Matthew 12, 30, again, just a little bit before this, he says, he, whoever is not for me is against me. And it seems to be this very real warning of like, it, it needs to be an all in kind of thing for the hope. If you really wanna see change, if you really wanna live this life, it's not easy, but it's good but it takes a big commitment, it needs to be for me. And then we come to the last soil, the fourth soil, the good soil. I love how basic, it just says a good soil there, that some dare to believe the gospel rather than the values they see around them. They dare to believe it above all else. And that this fruitful person understands the message and the seed and the hope that's there. Um, At the time, Jewish teachers would emphasize an understanding of the word. They said that um, philosophy that, that emphasized reading scripture with one's understanding rather than one's eyes. And I love that idea that there was something bigger than just seeing it. There was an understanding, there was a depth of understanding that happened in these ideas that needed to take root. And there seemed to be a, a kind of a more culmination of that image of pressing close to Jesus. I pictured that sort of the disciples there that only those who were willing to press close to Jesus that would persevere until they understood the real point of all he was trying to teach they're the ones that really prove to be the lifelong disciples. They're the ones who see the crop produced in their lives. Again, I've enjoyed that there's, he doesn't give a whole lot of description of the soil. There's not a lot of pictures painted like the other ones. He just says it's good soil. It says that the seed enters that soil, that there's a receiving, that there's an understanding, that there's a gripping of the seed into the soil and that all the rest of it then is, is God's work in the midst of that. I think sometimes we kind of can be in, in a danger when we talk about that. Like, well, if, if, you know, if the seed just goes in, then that just must mean my life should be perfect, right? If I'm a good follower of Jesus, then life should be great. Everything should just work out. All the old stuff should go away. And that means if anything bad happens, that's a sign that I'm not doing something right or that maybe God isn't really in my life. I think we can get that twisted up in our head so much, our actions matter, you know, all these things. And yet, throughout time, there is the reality of uh, the consequences of sin in our life. There's a reality that this is a hard life, that things will happen in the midst of it. And I so appreciate John Calvin, one of the great theologians of all time, right? He, uh, the, One of the church fathers wrote this hundreds of years ago. He said, this doesn't mean that followers are perfectly free from the remains of sin, but they're happily freed from the reign of it. Those who have the seal so seed so planted so deeply within, they're not free from the remains of it, but they're freed from the rain of it. There's something that changes in the lives of those that are producing good crops. So these things can happen there as a steadfastness in the midst of it. It no longer is the thing that takes over them. The verb that's used at the end of this talks about bearing fruit, edidu, is the word here. It's an imperfect verb stressing continuing regular normal action. That, the, that this soil that regularly produces good crop, let's seed in, produces crop. Let's seed in, it goes out. It's an ongoing thing that happens. They create space for the seed to do what seed does. And Matthew, he's very concerned with this. He's very concerned with understanding. He talks about understanding a lot. He wants to make sure we understand the good news. He understand the words here. And I think that can come uh, come across as a little bit passive at times, right? But I think when I hear understand, I think of cognitive knowledge. I think if I understand, it's enough for me to be able to put it in my head and maybe bring it back out again. But there seems to be for Matthew a depth of this word for understanding that's there. And honestly, it sort of blew my mind. Whenever you take words that we have that you just use all the time and you hear like, I remember the first time hearing recreation was re-creation. You're like, right? Um, Maybe your mind was just blown. You're welcome. Um, But for Matthew, same thing. Understand is understand. Stand under. And there seems to be this real idea for him that understanding this good news is to stand under the reign of Christ, to stand under the teaching of Christ, to stand under the word that he has, to let the word soak in, to be so close to him that it will change and shape our life. And it ends with these action words, these verbs. It says, this crop, this soil bears fruit and does things. That hearing comes fruit first, that understanding comes next as we stand under that teaching. And that the doing of fruit bearing happens naturally. And it seems that the key for understanding all of this parable happens in the last words. It ends with, let the person who has ears to hear listen. And I think I've heard that as just like a nice flourish at the end. Like, all ye who hear, hear, right? Um, But it seems to be this, uh, if you hear that at the end and kind of go back and read through what he's saying, it seems to be a very big key for deciphering what he hopes for in the parable's vocabulary. That listening to Jesus' words is the key to our life that our ears are the soil of our life, that ears attentively devoted to the word of Jesus are good soil, and that ears distracted that are inattentive, that are casual or diffused in concentration are the several unfruitful soils. So it seems that the key attitude in life both spiritually and socially is this idea of active listening, that right listening, right hearing is the catalyst for right doing. Just as soil's primary task is passive, and its task is receptive. So disciples are to first of all be receivers, to be hearers of the word, to take in the good news. And then faithful listeners to God's word becomes fruitful servants of God's world. Um, I've been pretty good. Um, I feel like in the midst of football season of not talking about football very often, I'm a Gator fan, no jorts, I know it's confusing. Um, And I kind of keep it on the low because I know not everybody likes football and some of you like football a lot. And on both sides, I'm gonna disappoint you because we're gonna talk about football for a minute. because I was watching a game a couple of weeks ago and I kept noticing my team who fumbled the ball a lot. Chad, you get a new football for student ministry. You're welcome. It's really grippy. Um, but I kept noticing they were dropping the ball so I was asking a friend of mine who's like his son plays football and then another guy here who's a, a coach at one of our high schools like what's going on? Like why is it some guys never drop the ball and some do? And I, And I realized... You know, you watch them, and when they catch the ball, oftentimes they go one handed. And I started paying attention, especially this weekend after listening to it. And like a lot of people, they're, you know, they don't know what they're doing, like myself. You sort of hold it like this, and the ball gets hit out really easy. It just falls out. Like you just can't find the ball. The good players, like what they teach them to do is to take it like point to point and they push it in their arms, and their biceps are very large and strong, right? And so they hold the ball very tightly when they're running, and it's really tough to knock out, but it's not impossible. But like right before they get hit, they're taught to hold it with two hands. And you see a running back doing that in the middle or like right before they're about to get hit because it is almost impossible, especially with these dudes, like to get it pulled out of their arms and they've got two hands around it. Like, and they teach that and they have to practice it over and over because it doesn't come naturally, right? When you want to run fast, you're going to hold on to something sort of off to the side. It is not a normal thing to do. So you really have to practice. And it kept me thinking about this soil and our responsibility in the midst of it because it seems that the rocky soil and the thorny soil are doing a one-handed hold, Right? It's, it's not that there's not, I mean, it says that the seed, it, it produced something for a while that it was there. It's not, a, a, the, the gospel was heard and something happened, but the cares of the world, the thorns of the world, the, the things happen and it just, it takes it away. But there seems to be a real picture that the good soil holds tight, right? It presses close That it leans in, that it prepares the soil, that it receives deeply in the midst of that, um. In, in, in base camp, uh, our, our, our elementary school students, K through five, are following along uh, pretty much every week during the year. We do that. They hear the same thing. And today's no different. But I really love what they're learning today, kind of their line about today. Here's, here's what they're teaching the kids today We can't make ourselves be good soil. We can only be good soil when we invite Jesus in and ask him to prepare our hearts. In the Psalms, King David prayed and asked God to give him a new, clean heart. And we can do the same thing. God always answers that prayer when we ask. The Bible says that he can change even a heart that is as hard as stone, or in this case, a hard path. I love that. I love that our kids are hearing that, right? That they're hearing that hope, that there's hope for them. When we ask God for a clean heart, a new heart, that he can remove the hardness that's there, And that they're seated firmly in the idea that God is the sower and that it is his seed and we can't make ourselves be good soil, but we can invite Jesus in to prepare our hearts and we can hold on tight through all of the different seasons and lean into it and hold it tightly and we can press close to Jesus. And that happens through church as we gather together and we share stories and we lift one another up and the see it lived out. It happens as we read a scripture and know his word and sit under it. It happens in our prayer life. And I think it would be wise for us to wrestle with a couple of questions as we move into these parables. Is who is the sower in your life? Right? What is your relationship with the sower? How do you view the sower? What, what is he doing? And then what kind of soil are you? Right again, if this is written to us, And he knows that even in this room, right, we have all of the soils represented. Where are we in the midst of that? And what do we need to do in our own lives to hear that and to prepare our soil? Do we need to invite Jesus in? Do we need to hold tightly? Do we need to listen more closely to the standard? Or where are we in the midst of it? I really enjoyed thinking this is a story written primarily to individuals, right, as it talks about their soil and what happens in the crop and that. But I've wondered and have been quite excited to think, what if we had a church full of good soil? Right. What if every person in our church was producing 160 and 30 times of a crop? What would the world look like if churches filled with good soil and crops coming out? Uh, It's just—it's staggering to think the difference that would happen in our neighborhoods and our families, and, and in the world around us when we show up to work. Because you are meeting people every day, you're locking eyes on them. They have no idea they matter. Right. You are meeting people all day long that think that the best that life has to offer them is a good 401k and making it through today and hoping that my kids are safe, right? Like there's nothing beyond what is happening in the schedule of the day. Yet you know that there is hope, that there is something more to life, and we get to offer it to them. You imagine if we started continuing to produce a crop like that of the hope that could infect the community in a world. I love thinking about that of what one seed of of the production that could happen and not for the sake of some of the church but for the sake of God's kingdom that 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 life could actually look more like that now right that that there's justice that could happen that there's love that could happen that there's hope that could happen now not just later but now of people's lives being radically changed it'd be incredible today we're going to continue with our worship by the taking of the communion meal and one of the things that I've come to appreciate in the way we've done, do we do communion. We tend to do communion about once a month. And as we look at when we're gonna do it, we look at as the application for a sermon. We really say, when, when would this fit best of what we're talking about, which has lent communion to be a really unique thing because communion changes. Communion is this very set thing. It is bread and wine, bread and juice. It is a thing we do. We do it the same way every time, but it has a different meaning every time, depending on how we come to it. And today is no different because today, It's a very much of a pressing near to Jesus, right? There's proximity that happens in the midst of the communion meal. You have to get up and walk to a table, a table represented by Jesus and his life and his love that's there. There's a pressing close to other believers that are there that are serving you. There's a grasping with two hands, right? The communion elements are being held tightly as we take the bread and as we dip it, as we place it in, there's a grasping of tightness that we're holding on tightly to that seed and that hope and then there's a very real thing about the depth of which that nourishment goes in our body, right? When I picture seed going deeply into soil, it doesn't get any deeper in our lives than the ingestion of food, right? Of bread, of, Jesus, of, of actually going deep within us and that is the hope we have. I'm gonna invite the band to come on stage as we set up communion as Jesus sat there at the end of his life under that last meal. Um, as he sat there with these same disciples that he told this story to, Right, the, the same disciples that were pressed so closely to him that he explained the parables to, he knew that it was coming. He knew the end was coming. and He knew a new kingdom was coming and they still had no idea. And I must have blown their minds when he started talking about his body being broken and his blood being shed because they had no idea. And yet he gives them this meal and he says, it's a very important meal and do this and do it in remembrance of me and keep doing it and tell the church to do it. And he said, and he took a loaf of bread, and he broke, and he said, this is my body broken for you, and took a cup of wine, he said, this is my blood shed for you, and this is for you, it's a covenant, it's, it's new hope, it's new life. And he gave him this image, and he said, remember, just do it in remembrance of me, you'll get it someday, right? There had to have been this moment where he just goes, you're not gonna get it yet. In the same ways that they couldn't have fully gotten the parables yet, but he knew it would make sense. He knew that someday, that you and I would be sitting in a room, and we'd be singing a song, and we'd be taking these elements, and we'd be pressing close that we would need to be reminded in the world that is so busy and so distracting and so hurtful that we need that deep connection with Jesus. So I'm gonna invite you to do that today. Uh, this table is God's table. Jesus set the table. And if you are a follower of him, even this very day, you're invited to take the communion meal. In a moment, the band will lead us in worship. And as you're ready, you'll come forward to one of the three stations. The one to my right and your left is a gluten-free option. You'll go forward, there'll be people serving there and you'll take a piece of bread or a cracker and let's say the body of Christ broken for you. And you'll take that element and you'll dip it into the juice and they'll say the blood of Christ shed for you and you can partake of that element there and then return to your seat and continue in worship. And they'll tell you these things because they are true. Jesus really did come. He really did live a perfect life. He really did give it for you and he really came back to life and offers us life. And he really does want to produce good crops through you. So as you're prepared, I'd invite you to come forward. And we're actually gonna start this communion set with a new song and maybe a song some of you know, it's a Hillsong song called New Wine. But the words are so good, you may not catch them as you come forward, but I want you to hear these words. It starts, and the crushing and the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil, I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hand.